0: Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 21st. Now that was a fun day of action. Day five of the 2022 Australian Open delivering the goods. We had multiple matches go the distance, including perhaps most impressively Amanda Anisimova's 4 6, 6 3, 7 6 victory over defending Australian Open champion Naomi Osaka. You look at what the 20 year old American's been able to accomplish this season wins a title in week one of the year, knocks off number 22 seed and 2021 gold medalist at the Olympics, Belinda Benchich in round number two, now earns the signature win of her career, knocking off the defending champ, Naomi Osaka, seven six in the third set breaker. I want to talk on today's show about what makes Amanda Anisimova such a special talent, why she's positioned herself not only for success here in 2022, but so much success, in my opinion, as she moves forward throughout the course of her career. But of course, again, Anisimova is one of many i you Impressive performers on day five. If you look on the men's side, how am I not going to talk about Matteo Berrettini's dramatic 6-2, 7-6, 4-6, 2-6, 7-6 deciding tiebreaker victory over Next Gen superstar Carlos Alcaraz? Not. I don't only want to discuss what Berrettini did well. I want to talk about how Alcaraz ended up making that one a match. Alcaraz trails two sets to love, ultimately able to force a deciding fifth set and margin so thin in that. That fifth set as well. If you play that match ten times, I do legitimately think Berrettini wins five, Alcaraz wins five. For him to put forward that sort of performance this early in his career, I want to reflect on that, of course, as well. Talk about where he goes from here. Talk about Berrettini's chances moving forward in the draw as well. And look again, it's not just those two highlight seven six deciding set matches. There's plenty of other fun stuff on the day. Barty cruising once again, straight set victory. Maria Sakk her best performance of the tournament, a straight set win. Pagula rounding into form, Azarenka continuing her form, and of course, the three set battles, Krejcikova, Bedosa, Keys experience. I want to talk about it all on the men's side. We had upsets. Kesmanovic takes advantage of the Novak Djokovic dismissal from this event. He was slated to face Djokovic round one. Said in his press conference, he felt like it was a second chance when he learned that Novak Djokovic was out of the draw. Of course, he expressed support for his fellow Serbian as well, but Kesmanovic has certainly made the most of this opportunity. Four-set win for him over Lorenzo Sonego. You had Adrian Manorino. First, it was Hubi Hercats. Now, it's Aslan Karatsev Mannarino into a fourth round for the first time at a non-Wimbledon major plenty for us to discuss on today's show. But of course, before we get into any of that, I'm going to make these brief because you've been subject to them throughout the course of the first five days of this event. You all know the deal picks each and every morning over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Hopefully you're following along with us. We are still up half a unit through the first four days. Day four was not the kindest to us, but I'm feeling good as we turn the page towards uh, day six. Excuse me. So we're still half a unit up through five days of play I'm feeling good as we look towards week two. I feel like I finally have on a, a grasp on who's got it, who's don't, how things are going to break as we move forward. But of course, again, it's not just the gambling perspective. I like to break down the entire day's slate offer depth on how I think each and every one of the matchups is going to unfold. We focus on the previewing there, so we can do the reviewing, recapping here on this show. You can find those episodes on the Great Shop Podcast feed wherever you listen to your podcasts, or on our website, crackrackets.com. That went longer than I. Expected. So, two other things. Shout out to all you listeners. Shout out to our Crack Rackets Patreon family. Matches of the day for them if you're interested. You can learn more at our website, crackrackets.com. The only other thing, tennis-point.com. This pod doesn't happen without them. Tennis-point.com. Best equipment, best prices, all one location. Tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get some cool stuff. You'll also, of course, let them know we sent you there. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's talk about day five. Down in Melbourne and we're going to start if a defending champion gets knocked out of the event you know folks that has to lead this show Naomi Osaka did not play poorly in fact it was Amanda Anisimova who played exceptional tennis down the home stretch of this match to earn a 4-6, 6-3, 7-6 victory over the 13th seeded Osaka you look at the numbers from this match first Amanda Anisimova lights out on serve in this one. Both players, by the way, lights out on serve, each only breaking once throughout the course of the match. And let's be clear, Amanda Nisimova came, I don't even want to say out of the gate, slowly. She just wasn't 100% from the beginning, I, you know, adjusting to the stage, adjusting to the opponent, adjusting to the power tennis Naomi Osaka played. She blinked in her opening service game. Osaka gets a break. She holds the rest of the way. Osaka's serve lights out throughout the course of this match. This was power tennis at its finest. When we play videos at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, which many of you listeners by now have heard me refer to, it's the joke I make, what separates someone like Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka, Petra Kvitova's of the world, it's the power tennis that they play. And Amanda Nisimova, you got to get a Grand Slam title to become a full-time member, but she's got privileges. She can come hang out whenever she wants because this matchup was power tennis versus power tennis, and it was elite power tennis, consistently elite power tennis throughout the course of this match. The numbers for Anisimova are startling. 46 winners against 44 unforced errors. Now you say, okay, well, that's only plus two. Well, let's be clear here. Naomi Osaka, 45 unforced errors, so only one more than Anisimova. But on only 21 winners, Anisimova went big early in the rally because I do want to be clear here. I thought Osaka, the longer the point went, I thought Osaka outplayed her. And now it's interesting to note you look at the stats from this match, Osaka actually won the 0 to 4 shots by a plus 8 margin and that doesn't surprise me either. It was those 5 to 8 shot rallies where Anisimova really got Osaka and you know in the 5 plus in the end uh, Anisimova 15 uh, shot uh, 15 point rally uh, advantage over Osaka. Here's why I think that stat is misleading. Because if the the rally was going five-plus shots, it's because Osaka was extending the rally. It's because she anticipated well, was able to track down the plus-one ball of Anisimova. With that said, there was a plus-two. There was a plus-three constantly coming off the racket of Amanda Anisimova. And I think Naomi Osaka was more efficient with her serve, efficient with her plus-one ball. The stats are indicative of that fact. And Osaka's ability in particular her combo of slice serve out wide on the on the deuce side with a backhand cross court winner as the plus 1 shot it's the best combo on a hard court in all of women's tennis i don't care who you throw out there rabacina sepalenka barty even though anisimova wins this match what an elite combination from Naomi Osaka. And again, Osaka played well enough to win this match. She was broken one time in this match, fought off seven of the eight break points that she faced, won 76% of her first serves, 52% of her second serve points. But Anisimova matched her power tennis. And what, where I think Anisimova had the slight advantage and this manifested itself in the, second, uh, in the third set breaker, excuse me, was on the return of serve. I just think the Amanda Anisimova forehand Has less moving parts than Naomi Osaka's. And there were times when, you know, Nisimova just clicked on a forehand return down the line, or, you know, uh, you know, on the deuce side, she would connect, she would anticipate correctly, connect on that Osaka, serve out wide, and hit it early up the line, and just beat Osaka to the spot. If you give her a backhand return, and it's not the Naomi Osaka first serve, Anisimova's got a chance to hit that ball for a winner, whether it be cross court down the line, it's just all of her backswing, so condensed, so natural, and just You know, there's a shape to her ball and the drive on her ball as well, the way she uses her length and, you know, really leans into her shots. It's extraordinarily impressive. And you look again at the numbers, neither player particularly fond of approaching the net, although I think both of them hit more swinging volleys than these numbers seem to indicate. But, you know, Mova was on it. From the start, or excuse me, from the start of the second set through the end of this match, and you know it was fascinating because Naomi Osaka had a breakpoint chance at the very start of that second set. Anisimova serving first, and it's an extended rally, and Anisimova ends up fighting it off with a backhand cross court. And let's be clear again, Anisimo, uh, Osaka had a match point four five thirty forty, and. You know, Anisimova, again, extended rally. Osaka gets a clean return on the ball. Probably would have liked a little better depth, but it was, you know, a service line, if not a little bit deeper into the body of Anisimova. No easy angles to work with. She did connect with a backhand cross court throughout the course of a rally, and Anisimova used her anticipation, used her length to hit that ball a little earlier, reply with even more depth, with even more power, and the Osaka backhand reply goes in the net. Now, again, Osaka loses his match 7-6 in the third anyone writing her off as we move forward towards 2022, and I know, I believe with this loss, she drops down to like 82 in the rankings. That's the most dangerous number 82 in the history of tennis. Naomi Osaka is that good. Amanda Nisimova just matched her power tennis. This victory is a testament to Amanda Nisimova, not an indictment on Naomi Osaka. The only indictment would be that you know, because there are some moving parts to her forehand, Anisimova was able to pick on it, whether it be the tee serve on the ad, whether it be going out wide when the moment called for it on the deuce side as well. There were definitely moments when Anisimova would pick on that Naomi Osaka forehand with the pace. And then, you know, again, I do want to give all the credit in the world to Naomi because she was moving extraordinarily well throughout the course of this match and you know again forcing Anisimova to hit two winners instead of one within the course of a point the difference being Anisimova was able to come up with two winners was able to continue to come up with answers throughout the course of this match and again it was tremendously impressive it's what's allowed her to make a Grand Slam semifinal earlier in her career let's not forget she did that back in 2019 she's won now multiple WTA titles and you know, it, it it's always worth remembering the perspective of the, the various tragedies she has gone through over the last 52 weeks and over the you know the past really year and a half. And yes, we've all gone through tragedy. She also though loses her father, and you know is dealing with all of these various injuries and just seems to be refocused, re-energized. Darren Cahill now in the box for Anissa Mova certainly helps to have that sort of veteran uh, voice in your camp. And it's reaped benefits already as a again, just as impressive over Bencic, in my opinion, in round two. Well, that's not true. I apologize. She was more impressive in this match. This is the best match of the tournament that she's played, and she's knocked out Naomi Osaka. And you know now the the craziest part. So you beat the Olympic champion. You beat the defending Australian Open champion. Now you get the world number one in round number four. As for Amanda Nisimova, she gets Ashley Barty next. Look, with the power tennis Anisimova can play, if she can match you know, Osaka shot for shot. There's no reason her power tennis can't disrupt Ashley Barty. That serve into the Barty backhand, a look at a first forehand every time, even if that Barty slice return does come back with depth and does a lot of times, you know, against most opponents can get the point back to neutral. But Amanda Nisimova is not most opponents. We've learned anything over these past month and throughout the course of her career when she's locked in, healthy, playing good tennis, she can beat absolutely anyone, loses that hard, breaking 7-6 in the third match to Pliskova at last year's U.S. Open in the third round. Now gets through over Osaka. 7-6 in the third here in Australia. Again, full extended privileges at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Brutal for Osaka. She'll be back, folks, though. She was playing focused tennis. She was in shape. She was You know, again, she played excellent. Anisimova just matched her. It was a testament to Anisimova, not anything I think. I don't think Osaka was excellent. I thought she was good. You know, Anisimova, again, had the power tennis to disrupt the Naomi forehand. But I thought Naomi searched for a lot of answers. Just, again, third set breaker, came down to that. Osaka had match point in this uh, tournament, uh, in this match. And, you know, again, she was down match point against Garbine Muguruza last year before winning the title. She's been on the receiving end of that Pendulum always swings back, and so we will see Naomi Osaka back in second weeks winning another Grand Slam throughout the course of her career. I can guarantee you that, but Amanda Nisimova is here to stay, folks, and into the round of 16 she goes. She has you know reminded the entire tennis world of her promise. That was... The most notable result of the day simply because it was the defending champion exiting and 7-6 in the third, but we had another 7-6 in the fifth set match on the men's side. That's where I want to go next, and of course, I'm referring to Carlos Alcaraz versus Matteo Berrettini. and look... I won't lie. I had, why why would I lie to you? It's public record. Matteo Berrettini, uh, I picked against him. I had Alcaraz minus two and a half as one of my GSP ace of the day picks going into day five. I stand by the logic of that pick because if you looked at the breakdown throughout the course of this match, it is worth mentioning Carlos Alcaraz had break points in the first two service games of the match of Matteo Berrettini. Berrettini able to fight those off and that was the theme. Matteo Berrettini throughout the course of this match, coming up with the big first serve, coming up with the big plus one forehand. Ultimately, it helps earn him a 6-2, 7-6, 4-6, 2-6, 7-6 victory over Carlos Alcaraz. And a reminder, these fifth set and third set deciding tiebreakers played to 10, not the traditional seven. I mean, for Matteo Berrettini made 71% of his first serves in this match and that's where you have to start as you break down this one and you look overall in the match Berrettini 106 to 93 in the 0 to 4 shot rallies as you would expect had to land the serve had to land the plus one shot but I want to break this down by set because I think it's even more important to do that Berrettini was plus 11 in set number one, the set he takes to 6-2. Just Alcaraz was not prepared for the— I don't want to say was not prepared because he had break points in the opening two games, but, you know, again, he just—he struggled to find a rhythm would be the better way of framing it because the moment he would try to do a block return or a chip return just to get that return in play, well, now you give Berrettini a first forehand, and Berrettini was striking the forehand brilliantly. In set number one and throughout the course of this match. Of course, you look in set number two, a set that again is won by Berrettini. He's plus eight in those zero to four shot rallies. And, you know, so you look overall again between set one and set number two. Uh, at that point, Carlos Alcaraz minus 19 to Berrettini in those categories. And then the script flipped and you look in set number four, Alcaraz 21 in the zero shot, points one in the zero to four shot rallies, Berrettini 14. So Alcaraz plus seven now. Set number four, Alcaraz plus nine in that category. That was the difference. You know, again, when the plus one ball was landing, Berrettini was able to dominate in sets one and two. And just you know, credit to Alcaraz who fought off an early break and was able to get back on serve in set number two. But you saw in the tiebreakers played in this match, the serve, the plus one ball of Matteo Berrettini was the most reliable play on the court. And ultimately, that made the biggest difference because in those crunch time moments, you need to be able to find yourself easy points. You can't just rely on being able to outgrind every opponent if they've got a weapon that's bigger than what you've got. And that's what Berrettini proved to Alcaraz throughout the course of this match. Anytime Alcaraz turned to slice, anytime anything floated, Berrettini, as always, so aggressive with his footwork, finding forehands from that ad side of the court and, you know, working the inside out, inside in uh, uh, patterns. And, you know, There were moments in this match when he would even hit through the backhand, go big down the line just to get Alcaraz, prevent him from camping in that ad corner. And then the dynamic shifted again in sets three and four. And this is where you got to give all of the credit in the world to the 18-year-old Spaniard who started finding more plus one opportunities, just peppering that forehand into the Berrettini backhand corner, but then using that to open up the inside in and remaining aggressive with his footwork and looking to move forward more frequently whenever Berrettini would slice a backhand within the course of a rally. You know, Carlos Alcarez stepped up his game throughout the course of this match, started serving better and, you know, started matching Berrettini on the first serve as, uh, as this match continued and Look, again, set number five in this match, not a single break of serve. That's grown man tennis at its finest. You know, again, you're six up, six down holding. Let's get to the deciding breaker. The biggest difference in the end for Matteo Berrettini, he wins 78% of his first serve points. Now, it is worth mentioning overall in terms of return points one Alcaraz won a higher number than Matteo Berrettini, but Matteo Berrettini only needs to take his chances, right? Three breaks of serve for him was all he needed, two in the first set and one of them in that second set. And then he holds serve down the home stretch of the fifth, and it was just a little bit easier for him to win free points in that fifth set. And, you know, it is interesting because you look for Carlos Alcaraz; he ends the match with 51 winners against 54 unforced errors, Berrettini 39 to 48. But I actually think those numbers were indicative of the times that Carlos Alcarez was pressing. And in particular, this is a very subtle thing. I don't have the exact numbers for you in the match. If you go back and watch, I thought Alcaraz was a bit too aggressive whenever he would hit his on-the-run forehand. In particular, he would go, you know, Berrettini tries to open up the down-the-line, whether it be a backhand slice down the line, a backhand drive down the line, or the inside-in shot. Carlos Alcaraz trying to take advantage of the fact that Berrettini's in the ad corner, really tried to rip those forehands cross-court early in the match, really tried to get Berrettini stretched because, of course, if you're going to attack the Berrettini forehand, you have to do it with pace and depth, otherwise he's going to make you pay, and it forced a lot of errors for Alcaraz early in the match, and I think he settled down in sets three and four, and I think he was willing to extend rallies a little bit further, and obviously he's a major positive in the five-plus shot rallies in this match, and you know, again, credit to him. He st- he kept trying to take the return of serve from Matteo Berrettini early, try to drive that ball instead of just block it back because I think he and his team were of the belief, similar to how I am of the belief, that a block return doesn't do you much good against Matteo, Matteo Berrettini. Yes, of course, the ultimate objective is to make the return in the court. And yes, you want to make more returns than you miss. But against Matteo Berrettini a slice, you know, block return back, you're giving him a first forehand, a clean look at a first forehand. I would guess metrics-wise he wins like 75% of those points. So here's your option. Go big on the return, connect with it with depth. Yes, it's a higher percentage that you miss it, but these guys are still professionals, good enough, even against the Matteo Berrettini serve, particularly a returner of Alcaraz's quality to get a clean look on it. And Alcaraz did that throughout the course of this match, had his chances. You look again at the break point number. Alcaraz, 4 of 13 to Berrettini's 3 of 8. 159, 159, total points won in this match. It was as even as it can be. But Matteo Berrettini, man, again... His serve, his forehand, his floor is top 10 for the rest of his career. As long as he has those weapons, he just can take the ball off the racket of any opponent. Case in point, look at what he just did to one of the game's most promising young stars in Carlos Alcarez. And of course, you look for Matteo Bertini now, 40 and 16 in his career at the Slams. Let's go through how his past two years of Slams have gone. Round of 16 this year or better at the Australian Open. Of course, up next, he's got Correo Busta. Both guys probably gassed heading into that match. You know, last year's U.S. Open quarterfinals knocked out by Djokovic. Last year's Wimbledon finals knocked out by Djokovic. Last year's Roland Garros quarterfinals knocked out by Djokovic. Australian Open last year, he had to withdraw, made the round of 16, was going to face Tsitsipas. Uh, Roland Garros 2020, disappointing he loses to Altmaier, but round of 16 that year's U.S. Open and semifinals at the 2019 U.S. Open. Round of 16, Wimbledon 2019 Matteo Berrettini, and this is not a hot take, he's made it to the ATP Finals now multiple times, he's a career top 10 sort of guy. Now again, against the very best of the very best, his lack of plan B, C and D, which he has gotten better at, looked at how he drove through his backhand much better throughout the course of this match, but that gets exposed against the Medvedevs, the Zerevs, the Djokovic's of the world, because they are good enough to even take away the plan A as elite as Matteo Berrettini's, and so... Yeah, I mean, for Berrettini, I think he's the gateway. He's the litmus test to the top five. And that's like the ultimate final, to to call someone who's a gateway to the top five player. Obviously, that's an exceptional, exceptional player. But if you can't beat Matteo Berrettini, you don't belong in the top five. Carlos Alcaraz will be in the top five someday, but not quite yet. Just again, you look at the biggest disparity from the uh, statistics, second serve points won, uh, even though Alcaraz wins that category, four of 13 on his break point chances. And, you know, again, just came up a little bit short because he was on his back foot more frequently than Berrettini throughout the course of that third set breaker. But again, I I feel bad because that comes off as criticism. I have no criticism of Carlos Alcarez. This was an exceptional match. This is two guys playing a top 10, top 5 quality match. In the end, the guy with the bigger serve and the bigger forehand won. How much longer will Berrettini have the bigger serve than Alcarez? Probably forever. How long will he have the bigger forehand? You could argue he doesn't. He just has the more weight behind his forehand because of his court positioning. But I mean, even net points won. Alcaraz, advantage, 23 of 32, 72% to the 19 of 17 of Berrettini. 12 aces for Alcaraz, 8 double faults, but 12 aces to Berrettini's 10 in that double fault match point. Obviously the most prominent in the missed volley, in the breaker as well, in his opportunity. That was most prominent. It's execution in the biggest moments. Berrettini's confidence in his serve plus one play was the difference in this match. And so I'm done saying that. You've heard me say it enough. Credit to Matteo Berrettini. And now you look for him up next. Uh, I believe, yeah, he's got Pablo Carreno Busta. He's going to be a 51.7% favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Two guys... Thoroughly, thoroughly gassed. Heading into that quarterfinal. After that, it would be the winner, though, of Monfils or Kesmanovic So, in Beretti- I mean, Berrettini on paper is the favorite to advance out of the quarter. Now, to make the semifinals, we'll see how much juice he has left in the tank. But what a victory for him today! And then, of course, for Carlos Alcaraz. I promise we will see more of him moving forward in the future. Uh, but that was your five-set thriller, your only five-set thriller, by the way, on the men's side. I want to go back to the women's now. Talk about a couple of matches that went the distance, obviously, two in particular. I want to focus on, start with Paula Bedosa, six-two, five-seven, six-four, 5'7", 6'4", overrising WTA star Marta Kostyuk, and... You know, Marta Kostyuk was able to make the round of 16 at Roland Garros last season, and Marta Kostyuk has made you know damn deep runs in big tournaments before. You think about the beginning of last season when she made the final of Abu Dhabi. You think about her win over Kanu, two and one down the home stretch of last season indoors in Rome, and you know again, Marta Kostyuk extraordinarily dangerous uh, throughout her career has made deep runs in Australia before as well uh, as well when she was much younger she's been a world junior number 1 and the talent just oozes uh, out of Marta Kostick anytime you see her play someone who's kind of a complete package very similar to Paula Badosa and it's not that Sabalenka you know sort of overwhelming in your Naomi Osaka in your face sort of power but she's got the sort of athleticism to touch that gear when she wants to and in particular on the backhand wing she can wallop a backhand with the best of them. And, you know, again, it's how well rounded her game is. She's sneaky fast, good moving forward as well, comfortable volleying, comfortable hitting the overhead. There's nothing on a court Marta Kostyuk can't do. Now, again, putting together plan A, putting together plan B, responding to adversity, those are things every young player needs to get better at. Marta Kostyuk is no exception. But man, Kostyuk kept scrapping and clawing her way back into this match. Nevertheless, in the end, Bedosa's 6-2, 5-7, 6-4 victory over Kostyuk It was sloppy on the serve. There's no denying that. Neither player making over 60% of their first serves. Both players, you know, right around 50% on their second serves as well. But both players, double digits in terms of break points. Kostyuk 7, uh, excuse me, 5 of 15. Bedosa, 7 of 10. You look at the winner-to-unforced error ratio, Bedosa, 25 winners, 42 unforced errors. Kostyuk, 30 winners, 49 unforced errors. I do think that's a testament, A, to uh, the game plan of Paula Bedosa, who was looking to draw errors from Marta Kostyuk. because again, while Kostyuk is willing to grind at times in match and extend rallies, you know, five-plus shots, there are other times when she'll Get impatient and she'll go for the big rip inside out forehand. And I do think if you give Kostyuk time on the forehand wing, she's much better than if you just, you know, uh, continue to attack it with pace because I do think she's got a bigger backswing on that wing. Again, the backhand. Mwah. Chef's Kiss, exceptional. But. Bedosa did a good job of attacking that Kostyuk forehand with pace and, you know, being patient enough and playing down the center tennis, but de- down the center with depth and being willing to go into track meet mode when the moment called for it. That patience is what ultimately allowed her to win this match. And again, and it was very much a pick sort of match. You look at the rally breakdown in this one. Kostiuk, uh, uh excuse me, Bedosa, a six-point advantage in the zero to four-shot rallies. Bedosa also a, I believe, 6 Uh, shot advantage in the five-plus shot rallies across the board, pretty even in this match. And I love the adjustment Kosciuk made because I believe she was down a set and a break in this match, certainly obviously down a set. And then she started moving forward a bit more frequently, started taking swinging volleys out of the air, and, you know, again, waiting for that fifth, ball, you know, that third ball in the round instead of going Mach 10 on the plus one ball. And, you know, again, it's reflected in the stats. Marta Kostjuk, 12 uh, of 24 at the net, to Bedoss four of seven. She was the one moving forward more frequently. And again, 30 winners to 49 unforced errors. I do think there were times when she pressed in this match, particularly at the start, but there were also times when she played measured. Calculated aggressive tennis in this one, and just she showed the ability to do that even against someone as athletically gifted as Paula Badosa. And again, if you're Badosa, you scrapped, you clawed, you survived through this match against an uber talented young player who's playing against the number eight seed, who does have that nothing to lose sort of mentality heading into the match. And you survived that, and you made the match physical, and you were willing to extend rallies, and you still were willing to punish, you know, any any junk Kostjuk started throwing at you. And if she, you know. I don't want if she lost focus for even a moment and you know threw in a, 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 a not good. I almost swore I'm going to try and avoid swearing here. A not good moon ball at you. Bedosa took it early on the rise and punished it. And you know again, one more in the, of the zero to four shot rallies than Kostyuk did. Despite the fact, in my opinion that Kostjuk has a bit more pop to her game and a bit more upside in terms of her plus-one power. and, but, but but Dosa continues to serve well and, I, I mean, continues to make first serves and continues to show, I should say, serve better, show more pop on that first serve. She won 65% of her first serves to Kostjuk's 50%. That ultimately was the biggest difference. She was able to make things a bit more easy on herself and that's why you know she wins this marathon six two five seven six four match. And you look for Bedosa, you know, as great as Anissa Mova's been here to start the season. Paula Bedosa loses, uh, you know, to Victoria Azarenka, who was playing outstanding in Adelaide, but then goes to Sydney, beats Aspapanko, to Tomjanovic, Benchic, Kasatkina, Krachikova to win the title. Now has wins over Tomjanovic, Kostjuk on her way to this third round of the Australian Open. That's about as good as it gets from a resume perspective, all you could ask for. Barty, obviously, you probably have number one. Bedosa, probably two. Honestly, Anissa Mova now in this discussion for top three, top five performers of the year. We're three weeks in. I know. I'll quote my Jets. But I'm just saying, um, that's how good Paula Bedosa has been. The counter would be she's played a lot of tennis now over these past ten, uh, two weeks and 10 days. You look for her overall now. Eight matches in a 14-day stretch. Round of 16, she's going to face off against the power tennis of Madison Keys, And Madison Keyes probably on that top five list as well with Anisimo Vabardi and Bedosa in terms of best players here in 2022. Who rounds out that list? Krejcikova? I'll say Krejcikova or Sviantek. One of the two of them probably you'd throw on that list. But the Indian Wells champion, you know, confirming everyone's belief that she had top 10 sort of talent and you know well not everyone's belief that she had top 10 sort of talent but confirming what we saw from her at the end of last season which is that clearly she does have top 10 talent and she's confirmed that belief to all of us here to start the season, a physical three set victory for her. You look for Marta Kostyuk, who's now 24 and 19 in her last 52. Still a, prog- a progress for her, I would say. Progressive January uh, as she looks to build some momentum. Yeah, she loses three sets in her first match to Claire Liu in Melbourne, too, but then beats Shelby Rogers before three set loss to Coco Goff, beats Diane Perry, beats Sarah Suribes Tormo before getting knocked out three sets here by Bedosa. That surpasses her performance last season when She lost first round of this Australian Open will help her get closer and closer to surpassing her career high of number 50 in the world, which she reached at the end of last season. The 19-year-old Kostyuk, proving she's got all the talent, all the shots, all the tools in the toolbox. Now it's just about putting them together. Of course, your other three-set marathon. Well, you know, I, quickly, I suppose, Madison Keyes, seven, sixth, and 3rd uh, over Wong to advance. Keyes played about as perfect of a third-set breaker as you could have asked from any player. Just big first serve down the tee to open things up, big returns down the line to earn free points early and just, you know, was up 8-0, I believe, in that third-set breaker and you know, played that breaker and played the home stretch of that match after dropping the first set with the confidence of someone who hasn't lost yet this season, who is hitting the ball as cleanly as she has in the peak of her career, who looks fit as a fiddle, is moving well and, you know, is able to turn some defense into offense. But if she gets a look at a first forehand, it's lights out for you. She's hitting the backhand down the line comfortably as well right now, too. Madison Keys lights out, but we always, we, it's, I'm attacking a straw man. I apologize I have done a bad job of framing the success of Barbara Krejcikova. It's not surprise success anymore. She's just on that list of players who, like Barty, like Sabalenka when she's playing. Well, maybe not Sabalenka. She hasn't heard that. Like Sviantek you know, like Bedosa of late as well, who've just earned the benefit of the doubt. And you know right away, you chalk them up. And I know that's not a hot take. She's the number four seed, but it still does feel like the perception of her is not a top five player. That's exactly what she is. And go watch her match against Yelena Ostapenko yesterday, a 2-6, 6-4, 6-4 victory. Ostapenko was in one of those zones to start out the match, was just everything she touched turned into a winner. And, you know, again, Ostapenko is... I've made this joke before in terms of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She's got that house at the end of the neighborhood where, you know, some Halloweens, the lights are completely off and no one's home and you just don't know what you're going to get as you approach the door. And then other times she goes all in and, she, you know, again, she's got the sort of, she's winning the decorations and she's got Reese's in her candy jar and just all these different things. And this was one of those Reese's days. This is when one of those days when everything she struck turned to gold and just lights out across the board just, you know, again, on the return of serve, taking that ball early on the rise, ripping winners. And you look for Ostapenko in this match, 40 winners against 35 unforced errors, Krechikova 23 winners against 31 unforced errors. But what was Barbara Krechikova able to do? Weathered the storm. And what Krechikova does so well is just, again, turn defense into offense, move the ball around the court, steady Eddie. You give her an approach shot, she's going to move forward. She's going to hit it with perfect depth, perfect precision, perfect placement, And then she's going to either open up a first volley for herself to win the point, and obviously world number one in doubles, Grand Slam champion in doubles. She's as good as volleying as anyone in the women's game. Or she's going to put away that approach shot because she did hit it with such excellent depth and such excellent precision that you don't get a clean look at a passing shot, and you miss the passing shot in the net. That's the sort of pressure Barbara Krutchikovic can put on even someone who hits the ball as big as a Yelena Ostapenko, because she is so precise with her serve, and she went 72% of her first serve points in this match. Now for Krejcikova, seven double faults, and I think that was indicative of the fact that as this match went on, she was just like, you know what, I'm done floating second serves because a floated second serve just does nothing for me when Ostapenko's playing this well. And credit to Ostapenko, who, you know, could it could have easily just gone away after she saw her set in a break lead uh, vanish in set number two, but she didn't. She continued to scrap and claw. And yes, she got broken early in that third set, but she continued to hold uh, as frequently as she could. And again, forced Krejcikova to serve it out up five four. Krejcikova, just like all the great champions do, ultimately able to get through. You look for Barbara Krejcikova now in the draw. Vika up next, then would face the winner of Madison Keys and Paula Bedosa. I mean, the top half's just loaded. Any permutation of that quarterfinal, I think we're all in on. But for Barbara Krejcikova, who last year, again, unseeded a virtual unknown on the single side, at least virtually unknown single success at the WTA level prior to this time of year, and then, you know, makes a final in the Middle East and wins a title on her way to the French Open title on the clay and just ever since then has definitively proven she is a top 15, top 10, borderline top 5, top 3 sort of player. And I listed the stats earlier. You're not going to beat her, you know, on previous episodes. Uh, 11 of her 15 losses since uh, the tournament before the French Open last season. 11 of the 15 have come to players currently uh, in the top 10. And I believe 14 of the 15 have come to players in the top 25. That's how good you got to beat to be uh, to beat Barbara Krejcikova. Ostapenko was that good for about 45 minutes. But then Kretchikova slowly broke her down, got her stretched, played front foot, credit to Kretchkova. She advances to a date with Vika Azarenka. And by the way, according to Tennis Abstract, Victoria Azarenka, 59.7% favorite. Uh, That's off the back of a 2-0 victory, I believe, over Alina Svitolina. So I suppose I can understand that to some extent. But credit to Krejcikova, credit to Ostapenko. They both advance in tightly contested three-set matches. I want to talk about the men's matches now that didn't go the distance, but we saw certain seeds pushed. The the most enjoyable of the four setters on the men's side, certainly Rafa's four set victory over Karen Hatchanova. 6 3, 6 2, 3 6, 6 1 victory. That was Rafa's best performance of the tournament. And if Rafa plays like that, and I tweeted this out last night, it's time to start considering him a Tier 1 contender right alongside of Medvedev, right alongside of Zverev. Now the difficulty for him, of course, is he's going to have to beat two of them. And you could say that same thing about Alex Zverev. That's why in the tennis abstract singles draw forecast, Daniil Medvedev is inherently a higher percentage favorite over those two guys because he only has to beat one of them. But, I mean, Rafa... First of all, what's hilarious, the first set was 6-3, about like 32 minutes. Second set, 56 minutes, 6-2. Rafa ends up taking it. The physicality he's bringing and how efficient he is. The plus one ball was working in this match. I thought the forehand had better depth, better bite on it than it has throughout the course of this tournament. I thought he was hitting his serve placement so well. That slice out wide on the ad followed by the serve and volley cross court. It's a lethal combination with how well he hits that slice serve out wide and how much space he opens up to execute that serve volley volleyball. I mean, again, physically I thought he moved extraordinarily well. Now, there were times when he would hang forehands or there were times where because he's 12 feet behind the baseline, the return would hang short. And credit to Karen Hatchinoff who punished those balls and was going – I think his first forehand looks even bigger than it did earlier in his career. I think he's added that much more pace and bite and sting. And you know he really wants to hit it inside out because he just likes to bunt down on that ball. And I think Rafa learned that. Uh, throughout the course of the match and adjusted and, you know, started anticipating better and just putting a pass at Hachinov's feet to earn a second passing shot. And, of course, Rafa Nadal's two-pass passing combo, he and Novak, the best ever at that. I mean... It was just Rafa dominated in just about every fashion you want to turn to. You look for it overall. Rafa in this match wins 83% of his first serve points, making 67% of his first serves, 56% of his second serve points to Hatchinov's 39%. That was the biggest difference in this match. Rafa, 23 of 26 at the net, 39 winners against 30 unforced errors. Again, Hatchinov was good, Rafa was great. And unless you are playing elite elite tennis you are not going to beat rafa when he's playing great again it's just a joke that he continues to move as well as he does given all of the you know the physical tennis he's played over the course of the years but credit to rafa he's rounding into form and again breaks and all or breaks tchanov early to start set number one, breaks him early to set number two, and, you know, when Hatchinoff tried to make a push and, you know, ma- you know hits an incredible uh, ball throughout the court, what was that, the on-the-run shot where he falls on his butt and then hits an on-the-run backhand winner down, I think, 2-1 in that second set down a break. He earned a break point chance in that same game. Rafa neatly puts it away with a serve out wide and a plus-one ball and just you know, again, that was the theme of this story, even when Hachinov pushed. And he did push, especially in that third set, started getting after it. But then we saw Rafa's best set of the match in the fourth. And just, you know, again, Rafa gets an early break in that set, sucks the life out of you. And he's just, even if you know exactly what Rafa's going to do, his ability to flawlessly execute after all of these years. It's what makes him one of the greatest in the history of tennis. And so Rafa rounding into form. He's a tier one contender, folks, not a hot take. Into another fourth round at the Australian Open. Up next for him, Adrian freaking Manorino. Manorino, four-set victory over uh, Aslan Karatsev. Excuse me, I'm blanking out there. And why am I blanking out? Because that match went until about 10 a.m. Eastern time this morning and just... To see Karatsev after playing such a physical match against Munar, and then four long sets against uh, against Mackie McDonald as well, you could just tell there wasn't much left uh, gas left in the tank. And credit to Adrian Mannarino, who just you know strings his racket at like twenty seven pounds. Right, the ball just flies off the strings, and you know there's so much action on the Karatsev ball. Manorino absorbed it. He bunted down on it. He changed direction with it. He was willing to make this match track meet at times. He was willing to just continue to change direction with his plus one ball. And then, of course, what else was he willing to do is let Karatsev beat himself. As on Karatsev, who made 100 unforced errors in round number one, 86 unforced errors. He would have hit the 100 mark had they gone to a fifth set in another match. And that's because Karatsev had to get after it. You could just tell. There was not much left in the legs. And for Karatsev, who wins the title in Sydney, the week coming into this, and, you know, again, nine sets in his first two matches, you can understand it. I'm not justifying it. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying he was gassed. Manorino takes advantage of that fact. Aslan Karatsev, plus 2 in the 0-4 to shot rallies. Manorino, plus uh, 8, excuse me, in the 5-plus shot rallies. Again, it's pretty straightforward. Karatsev's serve plus 1 weapon was the biggest weapon, but Manorino induced a a dose of physicality. And you look in this match, 40% of the the points went over 5 shots. It's very rarely the case. In the men's game, and that's a testament to the effort Manorino put in. Again, just changing direction, absorbing the ball, using Karatsev's topspin to keep his own ground strokes down. Two brilliantly played matches from Manorino, who's into the fourth round of a slam for the first time when it isn't at Wimbledon. And for Manorino, who had fallen out of the top 32 after being there for quite a bit of time, you get a fourth round on your resume. Certainly helps you from a points perspective moving forward. Heck of a performance from Manorino. Upset of the day. Four sets on the men's side, at least, over Karatsev. Your two other four-set matches on the men's side, Shapovalov, four sets over Riley Opelka. What was particularly impressive for me was actually from Riley. Just on that note, Riley wins 33 of the five-plus shot rallies. Shapovalov, 34 of them. He played Dennis neutral in the longer points. I just think Riley moves ridiculously well for a guy his size. And again, his backhand is not just good or not just good for a seven footer excuse me it's just good it's fluid it's condensed his ability to hit it as a return of serve early on the rise extraordinarily impressive he made many returns and just continued to pressure chapeau in this match Shapo goes up an early break Riley gets that early break back chapeau takes that deciding first set tiebreaker Riley secures the break in the second set hold serve the rest of the way now credit to Dennis Shapovalov was very very smart in his serving locations. Get Riley stretched out wide, in particular on the ad and the de- uh, on the ad side with the slice. And you know, don't be afraid to hit the kicker out wide on the deuce. Just or you know, mix in the slice T, Just play to the angles. If you're gonna go blast, you blast into his body with pace, and ju- just play the plus one to the open space. Whenever you're hitting to Riley, make him hit on the run. Now, again, I want to credit Opelka, who I thought hit extraordinarily well on the run in this match, but. Shapeau was measured and disciplined, more disciplined than this match by far than he was in his first two matches. And I mean, look, the the five-set match over Kwan was a mess, and you know, round number one to drop a set to Laszlo, Jure on a hard court just not acceptable for Shapovalov at this point of his career. But of course, when I mentioned this on the Ace of the Day podcast, these are the sort of matches that Dennis steps up for. When it's a match that he's kind of an underdog in or neutral with, a match that he gets up for. He brings another element of focus. He brings another element of, you know, again, of execution to those sorts of matches, and he executed extraordinarily well with the simplicity of change directions. Yes, Riley will win some of the extended rallies, but extend rallies because, you know, again, let, don't let the big man rip from the center of the court. Play to the angles. Play to the outer thirds. So that's what he did extraordinarily well. And again, Chapeau's combination of athleticism and power, extraordinarily special, Big win for him into the round of sixteen here first fourth round I believe in his career at the Australian Open seven six four six six three six four win over Riley Opelka your other four set match on the day uh, two others excuse me PCB six four seven five six seven six three over Sebastian Corda with all due respect to that match two guys who just the gas tank was empty. And credit to both of them for the effort they put forward, and again, there was plenty of intrigue in that match. Corda had a million break points throughout the course of that one, whether it was, you know, again, I think he was up 5-4, 15-30, or 5-all, 15-40, uh, excuse me, in that second set before he let that game slid away and get broken. I think it was 4-5, 15-40, um, and had a couple of deuce point break point chances as well, and just you know, again, that's what PCB does. He went after the first forehand, got Corda stretched in the outer thirds. Corda had massive blisters on his feet, and you could tell PCB physically still worn down from his match against Greek Spor. But credit to PCB, who has more sting on his plus-one forehand than I ever remember and can hit that ball with depth, with pace, moves extraordinarily well. The backhand will hang short on him from time to time, but again, he, he uses his movement so well to beat it to the spot that it gets there early, and that makes up for, I suppose, the lack of elite depth. And then, you know, again, he gets more comfortable as a mover. I think he a, has a really nice kick serve, and the action on that plus-one forehand following the kick serve, it's a really nice combination for PCB to utilize Corda just wasn't ready physically for this battle. And of course, again, he had he had mute five sets the round before. And I'm not making an excuse. I'm just pointing out the circumstances. But that was the thing. Physically, just Corda did not have much left in the tank. Now that his weapons allowed him to earn a set and have all these breakpoint chances that unfortunately he wasn't able to convert on, that's just a testament to the tennis player that Sebastian Corda is, that the competitor that he is as well, that he was able to put himself in that position despite clearly, again, not feeling his best. But in the end... Just too much from PCB. He advances uh, in four sets over quarter. And then shout-out to me, Amir who's just physically locked in the serve a little bit more juice. And we talked about him a lot in his match following uh, following his win against Tommy Paul. But, yeah, just—you uh, know, he was one of my most intriguing players entering the season because you could always tell the talent, despite—I think he was 14-26 and 26 throughout the course of last season— you know again it's it's a really high floor. He can do, you know, change directions with the backhand, play plus one on the forehand, comfortable moving forward as well. And yet it just felt like, you know, because he doesn't have the elite serve or the elite weapon that he would be overwhelmed by other players who were playing their best on that day. Well, the Kasmenovic serve is turning into a weapon now, folks. Just how well he's placing it, how well he's following it up. The entire service game, it's a complete service game, at least with how he's performed here. And again, he's playing like someone who feels like he has nothing to lose, and I would think that's a fair assessment at this point. Fantastic victory for Kasmenovic to knock out Sinego. And again... Of the possible round of 16 matchups someone could have at this stage of the tournament, I think if you ask me, Amir Kasmanovic, hey, you've got Gael Monfils coming up. And he's like, yeah, I'm a 16% underdog, but at least it's not Zverev. At least it's not Rafa. At least it's not Berrettini, At least it's not Novak freaking Djokovic. I think if you're Kasmanovic, you look at Monfils, you say, okay, does he have an overwhelming weapon to hurt me? No, he's going to use his speed, his discipline, his consistency, of course, to try and bait me into things, and I can't allow that to happen. I need to sustain the tennis I've played all week long. If he's able to do that, he will absolutely be in that round of 16 match. But of course, those were your four set battles. Let's now talk about the straight sets of the players who excelled on court the most on day number five. Women's side, Barty. Rolling, She's dropped, what, I think, like seven games or something crazy, eight games through her first three matches, two and three over Georgie. Yeah, there were times when Georgie slapped her way to victory, but that's what she had to do, hit these extraordinary shots from extraordinary positions because just physically, mentally... Barty is locked in right now, using backhand slice to buy extra time, running around that ball and moving her forehand around the court, moving forward when the moment calls forward and landing the first serve, playing plus one tennis with ease. She can do everything on a court, and she's athletic enough to do everything as well. It's just a crazy combination. For Ashley Barty, who is that good, folks? Well-deserving world number one. I'm glad we've put that debate to rest. Ashley Barty, six-two-six-three, into the round of 16 of another Australian Open. Of course, beyond that, Maria Sakkari, by far her best performance, four and one over Victoria uh, Kudermatova. Then no, Just Pegula, seven-six-six-two over Nuria Prieses Diaz. Pagula, you know, again, avoided some seeds in her section, certainly, but had quarterfinal points to defend, was playing not well, entering this event, losing both of her warm-up matches. Still now finds herself in the fourth round and has slowly worked her way into form again. I don't think she played her best against Nina. She played much better in round two, better again here in round number three. Pagula into the fourth round. Your only other straight-set match on the men's side, Alex Vierup, who 3-3-4, three, three, and four, you learn nothing new in that match against Radu elbot But that was day five at the 2022 Australian Open. And now we turn the page towards day six, final half of the first week, final half of the third round, bottom halves of the draws competing today. If I were to rank that matches, men's and women's side, I would say number one on the women's side. And I talked about all of this on the Great Shot podcast. So you can go check out my entire views on it. I'm just going to rank them here for you. Sabolanka Drusova one, Collins Toss two, Shviantek Kasakina three, Pavlovchenkova Kersteya four, Zidanzek Cornet five, Halop Kavinich six, Merton Zhang seven, Kanepi Inglis eight. If I were to rank the men, FAA Evans one, just over RBA Fritz, Rublev Chilich three, Medvedev B V D Z, then you know Sinner Daniel, Tsitsipas Pair, demon Hour Anduhar, O'Connell versus Cressy. Cressy's gonna make the freaking fourth round. What a What a coup for Max Cressy. But it should be a really fun day six. And I want to let all of you listeners know right now, I will not be here on tomorrow's podcast. Fortunately, I suppose for me, I'm going to be on the broadcast as Illinois takes on Ohio State. Very excited to get back to Champaign. Very excited to get back to the college tennis universe. Don't panic though, we've got an option for all of you listeners. Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis, host of three a tennis show and a multi-time Crack Rackets returning champion, going to fill in for me on the day. So he'll break down day six, give you guys all of the action, talk about what you should watch for on day seven as well. And you know, again, I'm gonna it's a handoff from one eyebrowed man to another, so I promise you we are in good hands with Gil tomorrow. But if you hear a different voice, that's why. You know, still part of the tribe, still very, very good man. You're going to enjoy his podcast, I promise. But, you know, again, with all of that said, we're still here each and every day throughout this tournament, previewing it all on the Great Shot Podcast, recapping it all here. If you missed anything and you want to catch up on it, you can on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, you to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Crack Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of the content. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at AL Gruskin. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of this content possible shout out to our friends at tennis point as well tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all of that said for my fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both Crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i am your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we will talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone